Hello? Um, concierge? Is that the right title? I was wondering if I might trouble you for a plate of fresh fruit. Jameson, I'm fairly certain the correct title is not concierge. Oh? Have you stayed here before? I can't say that I have, and yet I feel quite confident that his title is not concierge, and no one will be on call to fetch us a fresh plate of fruit. Are you sure of that? I feel certain that I've seen motion pictures in which people in our condition were treated quite well. I hate to be quite so disagreeable as this, but I suspect you may be mistaken about that. Just what movie were you thinking of? Ocean's Eleven. Ah, you see, they didn't share our condition at all. Ah, but they were the law-breaking sort, weren't they? True enough. But those gentlemen were staying at the Bellagio Luxury Resort Hotel in Las Vegas, Nevada, whereas you and I, my dear brother, are currently incarcerated in a jail cell. Door Creek Slam! Welcome, both tenderized and hardened criminals, to the inscrutable Brimblebanks Brothers electronic storytime presentation of That Sinking Feeling. Now, grab your harmonica and sharpen it slowly into a shiv while I turn you over to the Brimblebanks Brothers themselves, Bentley and Jameson Brimblebanks. Thank you, Voxbot 5000.5. Could you be a dear and fetch me a plate of fresh fruit? Jameson, it can't do anything for you. That's just a tin can you've duct taped onto an old shoebox. How could you say something so hurtful, Master Bentley? I'm beginning to worry about you, dear brother. Well, I haven't had any fresh fruit today. What are you guys in for? We broke into the British Museum. Whoa, you guys like Master Jewel Thieves or something? Not exactly. We were homeless and snuck in for somewhere warm to sleep. Once we got those bothersome mummies out of the way, the sarcophagi were rather comfy. What are you in for? I thought my neighbor's kid was a witch, so I tried to shove him through the wall at King's Cross Station. You were trying to send him to Hogwarts? I don't know what that is. What about you? (laughs) You know them giant horses that lead the processional to Buckingham Palace? Yes, and please don't finish that story. How come you guys get to have a kitty cat in here? She was incarcerated, just the same as us. Shouldn't she be in the dog pound or something? Well, as she's not a dog, I think not. I like your fancy hats, boys. Thank you. I admire your brazen disregard for societal conventions in regards to cleanliness and acceptable personal odor levels. Thank you? You're welcome. I think he was insulting you, man. Is that right? Well, strictly speaking... Nobody gets to insult me. Unhand my lapels, sir. Fine. That's worse. Concierge! Concierge! There's no need for roughhousing, gentlemen. This is all a misunderstanding. Yeah, we're misunderstanding why you're still standing upright. You know, this all reminds me of a story. A story? Are you going to tell us a story? (coughs) Come on, tell us a story. Bentley, we haven't told a story in four months, and we're not the masters of Brimblebank's Manor, so any tale we tell will not help protect reality from strange incursions from other worlds. As such, our storytelling in prison seems a rather pointless and futile endeavor to me. It might help us not getting our noses stomped out through the back of our skulls. A fair point. A story, then. These class tensions within close confines brings to mind one of the most famous examples of just such a scenario. The fantastical voyage of the RMS Titanic. The fantastic... Jemison, that's not a fantastical story at all. 
It actually happened in 1912. Again, Bentley, I remind you, we can no longer draw from the amorphous tales of other realities. We are cut off! I'm not certain I can invent a wholly new and interesting story on the spot to appease these jailbirds. Hmm, true. I don't think you can either. So then, we shall have to do our best to draw on a story that happened in this world. Well, it's a bit dull, but carry on. The frontiersmen felt eyes upon him. A whole lot of eyes. Sharp enough eyes to cut right through the buckskin vest he wore under his tuxedo jacket. He needed to act. He surveyed the implements in front of him. Which to use? Be always sure you are right. Then go ahead, he thought to himself. But that was the dang problem. He didn't know if he was right. He started to reach for one of the small forks to the left of his plate and heard someone snicker. Well, hell, he thought. The American woman with the large eyes and wide mouth sitting to his left leaned over and spoke. Ahem. The American woman with the large eyes and wide mouth suddenly leaned over and spoke. Voxbot. The Chewbox is not going to provide character voices for our stories the way the real Voxbot does. Why not? Is she depressed? It's not depressed! It's a bloody shoebox with a can taped to it. If we're to tell this story, we are going to need to do it without voice talent and without Brimblebank's manner. Just the two of us. You mugs is gonna have to stop whining and get with it. I suppose the felon is right. We soldier on. The congressman was uncomfortable with his place setting. The American woman next to him speaks up. Honey, you just pick up any fork off that table that looks good to you, and you dig in. Don't mind these snooty patooties. Now, I don't know nothing about all these high manners neither, and you don't see it stopping me from chowing down. Because I'm still rich. Molly Brown's the name. Well, that's nice. Every good story about the Titanic has the unsinkable Molly Brown in it. Good to meet you, Miss Brown. And, uh, thank you for your advice. I'm hungry and a vegetarian on Taco Tuesday. I'm usually more comfortable eating what I kept myself with my bare hands. But recently I found myself a congressman of the United States. And I figure now I should expect a better myself. Hell, sweetie. You're a congressman? Don't look like it, do I? I should think not. One would expect a little refinement from the elected officials, even from you Americans. But then, we Dutch have our own royals to lead by example. Stick it in your windmill and spin it, Lady Mukestall. Ha ha! Windmill and spin it! Ha! No calls for conflict, Miss Brown. I'm sure Lady Nukestall means well. <laughs> well, if you think I don't mean well, just say, don't know the manners of good society, eh? Well then, I guess I know enough to turn you inside out. Old gal, you sockdologizing old man trap. Excuse me? Sockdologizing! Ha ha ha! Very nice. Can it, Sir Cosmo Duff Gordon? Wait, Jameson, that's a terribly unrealistic name. I thought this was a real life story. But Bentley, Olympic fencer Sir Cosmo Duff Gordon is one of the most famous people to escape the Titanic. He ignored the cries of women and children first, got on a lifeboat with only eight people on it, and when the crew on the lifeboat tried to turn around and get more survivors, Sir Cosmo Duff Gordon bribed them to keep rowing away. He lived branded a coward for the rest of his days. We can't tell a story about the Titanic without Sir Cosmo Duff Gordon, the infamous coward. Can't we? The story needs background music. 
Well, without Voxbot, there's nothing I can do about that. Maybe I can help. I smuggle this MP3 player in with me. Where were you hiding that? As you've already touched it, it's best not to ask. Hmm. Surprisingly refined musical tastes. May I? Press on. Excusez-moi. Came the voice of a Frenchman behind them. They turned to look, and a diminutive Frenchman with intelligent eyes, a slightly hooked nose, shaggy brown hair, and somewhat yellowish tint to his skin, flashed them a bright white grin. Did you say you were an American politician? That's right. Don't think I caught your name. The Marquis de Letale. At your service. Who's he? I made him up. I already used all the real people I could remember, and we're in prison with no vox pod, so I can't look more up. It's historical fiction, Bentley, so some is real and some is made up. Excuse me, ladies and gentlemen, may I take your order? Wodka. Lemonade, orange juice, and vodka. Little whipped cream on top. Brandy, please. Rye whiskey. Chambertine, s'il vous plaît. Very good. No, then, Monsieur Congressman. Were you elected based on some legislation you wish to pass? Well, I suspect it might have had more to do with the fact that I'm a little bit famous. For writing great works of literature? No, Lady Nuxtall, for being a frontiersman. Americans, you are so, how you say, entertaining. I say, you're not Paul Bunyan, are you? I believe that individual is both gigantic in stature and uh, of a fictional nature. Are you Johnny Appleseed? That gentleman is in fact real, but tends to wear a pan on his head. Americans. Well, who are you then? Congressman David Crockett. But you can call me David. David Crockett. King of the Wild Frontier? No, ma'am. We don't cotton no kings in America. That's right. It's presidents our American cousins prefer. And elect congressmen for their bear-killing abilities rather than their legislative credentials. Stop! There's no way David Crockett was on the Titanic. Why not? He could have been on the Titanic. No, he could not have been. Are you sure? He died at the Alamo. I never liked that. Seems like a bad ending. Some think he survived. What year did the Alamo happen? I don't remember. Shortly before the Titanic set sail, though. I doubt it. Then shortly after the Titanic set sail. One of those! It was close. Bear them no mind, comrade. It is often those who think themselves so high that are eventually brought down all more. Also, we all remember the Alamo, old chap! Davy Crockett did not, in fact, remember the Alamo. Clearly he's not the only one. If you'll excuse me, I think I'll take a little night air. But your drink has not yet arrived, mon ami. You know, I think this boat is rocking enough for me already without adding some whiskey to the mix. I'll see to other affairs. What's that line from Julius Caesar? There's a tide in the affairs of men. Gashes? Brutus. I think maybe you hurt his feeling. Why don't we chat about that a little more, friends? Do you have a fondness for Brutus, Lady Nukestall? Davy walked out of the dining hall and onto the deck of the massive ship. They had gotten to him. Gregor had been right about that. But why? Was it because deep down he feared they were right? Did he really not deserve his elected position? Was he only good for tracking game and blasting buckshot? He tried to stomp out the old fears like he would a campfire. He liked the smell of the ocean, a different sort of nature than the woods and rivers to which he was accustomed. Water on all sides as far as he could see. Above that, the infinite reaches of space. Blackness dotted with little spots of white, 
the same reflected below, infinite in all directions. He let the beauty and the stillness slowly calm him. He almost wished he could have stretched out on the deck right there and slept under the sky. But it wouldn't do for a congressman to be found that way by all those snooty folk in the morning. So he made his way down to his quarters. When he opened the door to his room, he saw an envelope lying just inside the threshold. He opened it and read, Congressman Crockett, I knew when I met you at dinner that you were someone I could trust. By following a suspicious person and doing some snooping, I found the enclosed. The reasons I was suspicious and that I believe we may all be in danger are too horrible to risk putting in writing. But if even one-third of the stories I heard about you are true, then you're the person to help me. I'm suggesting a team up. The great David Crockett and the unsinkable Molly Brown. Written at the bottom of the note was her room number. Davy removed the second piece of paper from the enclosed envelope and unfolded it. On the paper was a sketch of what looked to be some kind of... telescope? It did seem to be a mystery, he thought, and not one that made a lick of sense to him. His heart quickened at the thought of an adventure. He hoped Molly wouldn't find it rude if he went to her quarters now. He walked with a purpose through the narrow hall. Arriving at the room specified in Molly's letter, he was surprised to find the door ajar. The room inside seemed dark. Davy knocked. No answer. Molly? Molly, you there? It's Davy Crockett. No answer. Damn etiquette. Now what? Pretty sure in polite society, or any society, you don't go walking uninvited into a lady's room. Then again, she invited me. Probably there's different rules for ladies in distress. He pushed the door open stepped inside, and felt along the wall for a light switch. Molly? He found the switch, clicked it, and took in the room. The desk chair had been tipped over and lie in the center of the room next to some papers and a book. Molly! Davy heard the sound of water dripping into water. He hurried into the bathroom and, forgetting etiquette entirely, opened the door. He could tell by the reflection of the light that the bathtub was filled with water. He stepped closer. Lying in the water, Fully clothed at the bottom of the tub, eyes open, face still frozen in terror, was the unsinkable Molly Brown. We now interrupt this tale of trouble on the high seas to hear this message from one of our sponsors. Let's see, what's something good to sell to prison inmates? Rehabilitation? A time machine? Got it. <clears throat> Prisoners, don't you miss the good old days when your loved ones could bring you files baked into cakes? It used to work, but these days, those lousy screws are onto the gag. But don't worry, down at uh, Aunt Aggie's Breakout Bakery. Breakery. Oh, nice. At Aunt Aggie's Breakery, we've got all kinds of useful items to help you escape in a wide variety of delicious baked goods. We've got tin snips baked into a cannoli. We've got a hacksaw baked into a crawler. Keeping kosher. We've got Brit Miller baked into a babka. We've got a Dremel baked into a fritter. We have an actual bear claw baked into a bear claw. We've got screwdrivers baked into baguettes. Flathead or Phillips? Both. Flatheads are regular, Phillips are gluten-free. So send a loved one down to Aunt Aggie's Breakery. Then come thank us yourself tomorrow. 
We now return you to the inscrutable Brimblebanks Brothers Electronic Storytime presentation of Whatever Floats Your Boat. I think I saw this movie. No, you didn't. There is no movie. Oh, yeah! The Titanic movie! Davy Crockett is not in that movie. Yeah, he was played by, what's his name? Romeo. You're thinking of Leonardo DiCaprio. Don't help them. No, that's one of them uh, samurai frogs. You mean Ninja Turtles. Stop helping them. I thought he was played by Johnny Inception. No, it was Jack Dawson. That was Leonardo DiCaprio's character in Titanic. See, I told you I've seen this movie. Yes. Molly Brown was dead. Jameson. The most famous person to survive the sinking of the Titanic. So famous, for doing so she was called the unsinkable Molly Brown ever after, was lying at the bottom of the bathtub with her lungs full of water, sunk, before the ship had even taken on a half a pint of water. An unexpected twist. And it's historical fiction, Bentley. You can't change the things that everyone already knows. You're not... Quentin Tarantino, you inglorious bastard. Well, I can be grateful for that. And you've been calling her the unsinkable Molly Brown before the Titanic even went down. How do you suppose she got that nickname? I thought maybe she was just naturally buoyant. That's her superpower. Like a sort of bobbing X-Man. No. Because of her unflappable positive outlook? No. Because she didn't fit in the sink. She can't be synced. Yes. I'm sure that's it, because she didn't fit in the sink. As I was saying, Davy Crockett had seen enough dead people to know what they looked like. Tarnation. He'd liked Molly, too. He looked around her room. Molly's hairbrush and a silver mirror lay on the nightstand. The bed was still made up. He walked back to the mess of papers on the floor and crouched to look at them. A book? Some blank stationery. And that's all there was. The intruder must have knocked or forced his way in. Crockett turned to the door to see if there were any signs of forced entry, and saw the Marquis de la Terre standing there, leaning in the doorframe. But what are you doing in this lady's chamber? I am surprised a woman like Molly would prefer your unkept American crudeness to my sophisticated French masculinity. What? Well, I was hoping for a wild American night of my own, but I see you have beat me to it. What? What? She must not have known she had a better option. Much better. Where is she? Molly Brown is dead. He gestured with his head at the bathroom. Mon Dieu! In there? The Marquis stepped into the room, then leaned over and stuck his head into the bathroom. He looked back at Davy. Well, that's a shame. It seems death has taken her body before either of us could. I wasn't trying to take any body. The Marquis squinted his eyes. No? Then why have I found you in our chambers with the newly dead woman, Davy? If you are not lovers, what is your alibi? I... I was... Davy thought hard. He couldn't tell the Marquis about the note or the telescope. He still didn't know what Molly had wanted to tell him or what the danger was she had been so afraid of. I'll stop by to borrow this book. He bent to pick it up. The Marquis looked at him skeptically. You can read. He walked over and took the book from Davy's hand. The play of Tom Taylor? He flipped the book open. Ah, one specific play is, uh, how you Americans say, dog-eared. It is our American cousin. The Marquis looked back up at Davy and nodded, as if his suspicion was suddenly appeased. Davy, I believe you. 
This play is about a crude and ignorant American. He's, um, how you say, backwoods. Who comes to Europe and bumbles about being stupid and ignorant and probably fat. I see why she wanted you to read it. He pressed the book into Davy's stomach. Davy took the book back. Despite the strange circumstances, he was suddenly worried. Had all the legislating in stuffy rooms given him a gut? Well, that explains why you were heir. But it does not prove you did not sink the unsinkable, Davy. Uh, I'm sorry. Was that... Sink the unsinkable or think the unthinkable? Sink the unsinkable! I'm sorry, that wasn't any better. Sink the unsinkable! Sink the unsinkable! Well, yelling doesn't help matters none. Davy, my point is that a man who could kill a bear at only three is a dangerous man. But that wasn't... Uh, people are always... Regardless, I shall have to investigate further. I may have questions. Do not stray far. Don't you think we should inform the authorities? I would think twice before turning over the course of important events to ordinary men. What makes you so great? I never heard of you. I am the once and future emperor of the world. They told me back home that inbreeding makes you folks crazy. If the Marquis heard him inside the bathroom, he did not respond. Davy left the room and quickly found a crew member. He told him about the murder of Molly Brown, but then hesitated. Perhaps what the Marquis had said made him pause. Or maybe it was his own intuition or the obvious panic of the crewman, but he did not speak about the note he had received, or about the drawing of the telescope. The startled crewman ran off to tell someone with more authority about the murder. Davy walked back up to the deck and looked out at the water. Poor Molly. She had obviously learned something that had gotten her killed. He took the sketch of the telescope out of his pocket and examined it closely. In one corner was written, N. Tesla. N. Tesla? About somewhere. Oh, Lady Nookstall, uh, didn't see you. She was standing near him at the railing. You're wondering about our fellow passenger, the brilliant and famous Nikola Tesla? What makes you inquire? Davy had never heard of him. Was everything on this ship designed to make him feel stupid? Everything on this ship is designed to make me feel stupid. Nikola Tesla, not on the Titanic. Who told you that? No one, but no one told me he was on the Titanic either. Exactly. The mysterious fog of history. Was he? Was he not? Who can say? For the purposes of this story, we will consider the very real possibility that he was aboard. That such an adventurous and engineering man as Nikolai Tesla... Nikola Tesla. ...would not have passed up the opportunity to explore the marvel that was the R.S. Titanic. R.M.S. Titanic. Whatever. Well, what interest do you have in Nikola Tesla? Oh, I've always been a fan of his uh, telescopes, because <laughs> I'm an explorer. Nikola Tesla does not design telescopes, as far as you know. Davy wondered. Tesla hadn't done any work with telescopes? Then what was this drawing of? He's uh, on the ship, you say? Certainly. Where can I find him? In the library, I imagine, where brilliant people spend their time. I saw him there earlier. Thank you kindly. He started to leave, but the elderly woman suddenly grabbed his hand and held it. Do find me later and tell me everything you learn about telescopes. I'm in room 332. Davy looked down at the woman's hand. The letters JWB were tattooed on her wrist. Which your opinions were so strange. Ah, you noticed my tattoo. It is standard for people who work where I do. I work... For the Jurstacht Winschwechtwach Bureau. Sure, whatever that means. And with that, he separated himself from the old Dutch aristocrat and set out for the library. 
but locating rooms in the belly of a ship was harder than navigating North Carolina by starlight, and before long Davy Crockett found himself lost in a noisy engine room. A rat scurried across his feet. It made him hungry for his campfire meals. Damn ship, campfire away nowheres. Davy, look out! Crockett was suddenly shoved into one of the metal encasings. There was the explosion of a firearm and a bullet ricocheted off the corner of an encasement. Davy pushed the little Frenchman aside and rushed in the direction of the gunshot before the assailant could reload. Davy Crockett might get taken unaware by gunfire, but no one was going to beat him in a hand-to-hand fight. But he tripped over one of the pipes and fell hard. Footsteps echoed in the darkness as the assailant fled. Davy rose to take chase, but a hand stopped him. Not now, Davy. He is armed and has the advantage. If he reloads before... But Davy had already shaken off the Marquis and run into the darkness. The hallway quickly reached a turn, however, and there was no way to tell which way the attacker had fled. The Marquis was right. No sense in wandering blindly in the dark, waiting to be shot. The Marquis caught up with him. Well, Davy, it seems whoever killed Molly Brown is also desirous to kill you. Which means, for the moment, I think I can trust you with my investigation. What? What? Davy, there are obviously things you are not telling me. Your authorities are not going to solve this mystery before someone else is killed. Probably you. Which means you need to trust someone who is actually capable. And as I just saved your life, and once ruled Europe and shall do it again, I nominate me. Now, tell me everything you know. What do you mean ruled Europe? You say stuff like that and it makes me the opposite of trust you. To everyone else on this ship, I am the Marquis de la Telle. Given my many enemies, the charade is quite necessary. But a man like you, who has escaped death at the hands of a bear, and an Alamo, and still strives the world, I believe will understand. I am Napoleon Bonaparte. Jameson! What? No! Why not? It's just like David Crockett! Fiction. The time periods are not even close. What year did Napoleon die? Dash it all, I don't know. Well, Napoleon, I don't know nothing about French history, but you did just save my life. I'm looking for Nikola Tesla. Before she died, Molly, give me this. He passed the sketch to uh, Napoleon. I think it's a telescope. It is not a telescope. Then what is it? We should have to ask Monsieur Tesla. I know where his room is. Like you, he is an American with a reputation somewhat larger than life. I'm life-size, thanks very much. Your humility is tiring. Nikola Tesla opened the door to his quarters almost as soon as the Marquis knocked. He stared out at them with wild eyes. Yes, wait. What? Why are you here? He pulled Davy and the Marquis inside the room quickly and closed the door. This is incredibly strange. There was a cooing to the right of the door, and Davy looked over to see a white pigeon with grey wingtips sitting on a perch. You have a bird. The bird relieved itself. Yep, that's my love. Alassane. Alassane, this is... Who are the two of you? I am the Marquis de la Telle. Davy Crockett. Well, that seems unlikely. I'm a man of science, and I find it difficult to believe that after dying at the Alamo, you're now aboard this ship. After what now? What happened to you with the Alamo? I honestly don't remember. At some point, you should probably try. What do you mean, your love? I love this bird like a man loves a woman. And she loves me too. Why are you here? I'm investigating a murder that occurred on this ship. <laughs> What's funny? Sorry, good man, it's just... Why? What do you mean, why? 
Well, you don't see the irony. You're all worked up about someone dying. On the Titanic! Yeah! Everybody dies on the Titanic, Mr. Crockett. Always. Except for some infernal reason, Sir Cosmo Dove Gordon. He always makes out alive. Scientifically, I know the universe cannot have a sense of humor, and yet, his name alone. I'm trying to catch a murderer before... Before what? Before he sinks to the bottom of the ocean? What? Listen to me. Do you know what this drawing is? Those are my plans for a freeze ray. A freeze ray? Yes, they were stolen. Along with the prototype, but again, it hardly mattered, gentlemen. Were we literally anywhere else besides the Titanic? Or maybe, haha, <laughs> the Alamo? I would say we're all in grave danger if that freeze ray falls into the wrong hands. But again, Titanic! Alessandra and I have been for our part, spending some quiet time focused on one another. Believe me, the world is perfectly safe from that freeze ray, and from your murderer. I don't understand anything you say. I have a feeling he is accustomed to that. In every instant, electrons can be in any number of places, get it? There are infinite timelines and an infinite amount of ways everything can and does happen. There are many ways to skin a raccoon and make a hat out of it. But there are very few extremely rare places that exist on all timelines. And whenever you come to one of these places, you're finished, you see? No? You've reached a dead end, are you following me? Like waking up a mama grizzly. This man killed him a bear when he was only three. No matter what, you've reached the end. If you come to the dead end place in a timeline, you're doomed. Everything is doomed. The Titanic is one of those places. Every time I invent something the universe is just not ready for, it suddenly comes into my brilliant mind to travel to Europe in 1911 and try to sell it to the European nations. It never works out. Then I always bore the Titanic to come home. And me and my invention sink to the bottom of the sea. The Titanic, like the Alamo, Atlantis, Waterloo, all doom and death. And judging by the number of timelines in which I and one of my contraptions goes down with the ship, it has caused me to theorize that such places can work as a sort of cosmic safety mechanism for things the universe needs to be absolutely certain get flushed. The only time I don't seem to get flushed right out of the world is in the timelines where I don't invent anything really cool. Which is proof positive of my greatness because you never ever ever see Thomas Edison on the Titanic. Check the passenger log. Not even once. Me, all the time, flushed! I don't understand a damn thing you're saying. I am trying to solve a murder, Mr. Tesla. Who would have wanted to steal this ray of yours? Who knew about it? The little governments of Russia, England, and Holland. I traveled to Europe to try to sell it to one of those governments. Every leader of state passed when they heard the price I was demanding. Now, there is a Russian named Gregor who's been snooping about me, and I suspect a connection to the Tsar. And the Dutch woman. She works for the... For the JWB. Yes, the Dutch Bureau of Science. How did you know? I met her. You're right. She was aggressively curious about your work. Came to take for free what they wouldn't pay for. Just like Edison. I hate them. But the Russian, he can't be any better. I despise Russians. Nothing good ever comes from Russia, or from being to Russia. Russia is good enough without a freeze ray, believe me. Well, I wish you luck with your pointless endeavor. I suppose we all need ways to amuse ourselves and take our mind off the impending mass destruction and our own certain demises. Haha, <laughs> but I do wish you'd give it up and sit and talk with me and Alsan instead of running about on a fool's errand. I found you fascinating. A quiet retired explorer of 50 years of age, and for some inexplicable reason, you pop up at the Alamo. The Titanic. And Congress! Does your soul have a fascination with futility? Mr. Tesla, you said the Alamo and the Titanic were both inevitable paths to death. Yes, always. But here, if, as you say, it was inevitable, I'd die at the Alamo. How can you be on the inevitably deadly Titanic? Interesting. Talk to you later, Mr. Tesla. I highly doubt it. Davy and the Marquis stepped into the hallway and the door closed behind them. That was so strange, what he said. Sure was. He loves a pigeon like he loves a woman. What? That part? Yes, I'm sorry I was so quiet in there. I just could not stop imagining him loving the pigeon. Look, which lead do you want to follow? 
Which one of the suspects do you think might have stolen the freezeway? The Russian or Lady uh, Nookstall? And he just said he loves a pigeon like he loves a woman to us. Just like that, he said it. Molly must have found out about the freeze, Ray, and... He must know how that sounds. Will you stop? That's normal to you? That's what people do in America. When you are in the wilderness of Tennessee, you loved a lot of pigeons. No. They are so small. Pigeons, you know? Davy started walking to the grand staircase. I mean, if you can uh, fit in a pigeon, I mean, would you brag? None of our business. Davy headed up the grand staircase with the Marquis trotting after him. Now I'm worried about you and that raccoon you always wear on your head. Davy turned right down a hallway. Davy, if we do find this freeze ray, I don't think we should give it back to that guy. I have concerns about him, with his pigeon wife and his little tiny... Davy knocked at 3.32. Maybe there is someone more appropriate to give such a powerful weapon to. Ah, oh, Mr. Crockett and the Marquis. How delightful. Mademoiselle, hand over the freeze ray. Pardon me. The Marquis is right. Give us a freeze ray. It was stolen from an American scientist, and we believe it may be connected to the death of... Molly Brown, I'm aware. It was me that got poor Molly Brown involved in all of this, I am sorry to say. You? Please, come inside. Lady Nukestall limped into her living room. As I informed you, Congressman Crockett, I am part of the jury Wishfrucht Bureau. I never hid that from you. When Tesla tried to sell that weapon to our government, the Bureau understood the danger. I was sent to either retrieve the ray or make sure it ended up in Shayna's hands. Saner? That man makes love to birds. He said he loves the bird. Not that he makes... Like a man loves a woman, were his exact... Regardless, gentlemen, I do not have the weapon. When Miss Brown inquired about my tattoo, I brought her into my confidence about my mission and gave us a drawing I had obtained. Why Molly? Molly Brown knew everyone and is renowned for her good works. When I saw you had the plans and given your reputation, I attempted to bring you into the effort and found out you had no idea what you were doing. Now I see you have learned more information, however. Is an American. You have to be patient. You will find, I think, that there is a sort of natural, not intelligence exactly, but instinct. That's a... The point is that now we know there is someone willing to kill to obtain the weapon, or to keep its whereabouts hidden. Well, if it's not you, it must be the Russian. Which was my assumption from the start. The Russians find it hilarious to freeze the French. They laugh and they laugh. I believe you are right. And if that is the case, chivalry society is in danger, and so are we on this ship. I think I know where he could do the most damage on the ship with a freeze ray. The two of you, find the Russian, then meet me at the bow in 30 minutes. She closed the door on them. Where do we find this Russian? I don't know. If you had a freeze ray on a ship, what would you do? I would announce to the people of the ship that I was Napoleon Bonaparte! And that I was here to lead them to greatness once more. Thrilled to have their emperor returned, they would join my army and then Sure, you... I guess. Napoleon, I've been thinking about what that mad scientist Nikola Tesla said. Buff, who cares about him? But it's strange. I do seem to get that feeling you described a lot. About everything being pointless and doomed. Don't listen to him. It's crazy, obviously. But what if all I do is swing wildly and keep... Trying to do stuff on one sinking ship after another. Davy, who cares if everything is doomed? Molly was murdered. Don't you believe that justice always matters? Even if we are all doomed. Do you? No. 
Emperors cannot also be heroes, but you are a hero, and you believe it. Ain't how I feel, but okay. If I'm gonna do this hero thing, there's something I need. The two men hurried back to Davy's quarters. Inside, Davy went to a large oak cabinet, put in a key, and opened the door. There, on the shelf, was a very particular cap. Your raccoon hat, Davy. Davy nodded solemnly. He reached in and picked up the hat that almost seemed to quiver at his touch. He put it atop his head. I wish I had my big funny hat. They marched back to the halls of the ship. They tried Gregor's quarters, but he was not there. Well, it would have been too obvious to find him in his room, don't you think? Where else are we going to look? This ship is so damn big. Wherever he is, we had better find him fast. Lady Nuxtall told us to meet her in 30 minutes. Why does she get to be in charge? I'm sick of rich, sophisticated, snobby people telling me what to do. That goes for you too, Napoleon. And definitely goes for Lady Nuxtall, that... That suckedologizing old man trap. Ah, don't say that! Napoleon looked around suspiciously. Say what? Suckedologizing old man trap? Stop it! Stop it! Why? Because I am a great leader. The only great leader to come from your strange wild country was shot to death. And the last thing in the world he heard was that play, that line. I should not have taught you how to read. What? You didn't. It's a line from a play? Yes. The play you've been carrying around all day. When did you have time to study it? I didn't. That sucks line. It's from the play? He was another mad hater of emperors, John Wilkes Booth. And why? What's wrong with us? What did emperors ever do to anyone? Brutus had it wrong. Caesar knew what was best for Rome. Brutus? I remember something about Brutus. It was then that the bell started. The emergency fire bell. Davy looked around him. Startled and panicked crew members were running from place to place. Davy grabbed a frightened looking crew member. What's happening? Nothing, sir. Everything's fine. Go back to sleep. Davy shook him. Damn it, man, I'm Davy Crockett. I killed a bear when I was only three. Now you better tell me what's going on or if the ship struck an iceberg. It came out of nowhere. There was no time to change course. Tesla was right. The freeze ray! And with that, Davy hurried in the direction of the ship's bow. The tail of his raccoon cap whipped in the icy winds as he ran. Napoleon hurried after. With each person they passed, the crowd seemed to be growing increasingly frightened as people, one by one, learned of the iceberg and the coming fate of the ship. Just before they reached the ship's bow, the crowd growing increasingly chaotic, Davy almost ran into an old woman. Hey, just a minute there, fellas. I hate to interrupt the story, but... Yes, what is it? Well, this whole scene you're telling us about people running around, frantically screaming, and falling to their deaths, and I'm having a hard time imagining it. Me too! And we was talking just now, and we would like to volunteer our services as frantic and dying screaming people! Oh! The crowd growing increasingly chaotic, Davy almost ran into an old woman. It was Lady Luxton. One side of her face looked badly beaten. Blood dripped from the corner of her mouth. We are too late! I tried to stop the Russian, but he overpowered me! You did not find him in time! I suspected he might use the freeze ray in order to form an iceberg directly in the path of the ship, and he did! Gentlemen, all is lost! Women and children first! Women and children first! Yes, there's nothing for it, gentlemen! To the life rafts! 
I'm afraid you'll have to wait until the women and children board, but I'm sure there will still be room. But as a woman, I must go now. And with that, she hurried away. Daddy, what do we do? The ship, she is going to sink, and we haven't found the Russian or the freeze ray. And I am not a woman or a child. Davy stood stunned, mute. Ideas, memories, world to his brain. You're a fan of Brutus, are you? You shot dramatizing old man trap. The last man he ever heard. Women and children first. Children first. He was a mad hater of emperors. The Jurosprungrixture of Europe. I love that pigeon like a man loves a woman. I love that Women and like children a man loves first. Like women and children first. Like a man loves a woman. Like a man. Like a man. Women. Like a man. Women. Like a man. Women. No, not a woman. Davy ran through the crowd. The panicked throng headed for the lifeboats. He searched the faces frantically. Then he found her limping through the crowd, still favoring her right leg, Lady Nukestor. He grabbed her, turned her around, and punched her in the face! The crowd around them collectively gasped. Then everyone fell silent. The only sound was the sound of the great ship slowly sinking. I say, old boy, you can't hit a woman! Indeed, sir. You will have to answer for this. We're still English, after all. We may all be about to die, but we'll do it like English gentlemen, sir. We do not, under any circumstances, strike a lady. I ain't English, I ain't a gentleman, and this is not a lady. He punched Lady Nookstall in the face again. She staggered and cried out. And at this there was even more outrage, and two tuxedo gentlemen grabbed Crockett by either arm and started pulling him away while other gentlemen tended to Lady Nookstall. My word, my word. Throw him overboard. Now, now, with civilized English chintz, he needs to be tried in a court of law. That's enough. Now everybody pipe down. I'm Davy Goddamn Crockett, king of the wild frontier. I killed a bar when I was only three. I am a congressman of the United States of America's government, and you uptight English nitwits are gonna listen to me. The crowd made more noises of bluster and incredulity <laughs> than two men in a prison cell can convey. Somewhere lost in the crowd, unseen, was Napoleon's voice. You tell them, Davy. Now I tell you, that ain't no woman. That there is the murderer of Malibran. <gasps> the crowd gasped. And I can prove it. Shouldn't we all be getting in the lifeboats because the ship is sinking? Look, watch your walk. Walk around, Lady Nookstall. I shall not. She has a limp. She injured herself when she jumped to the stage. I do not have a limp. Second of all, she lacks Brutus. So what if I do? All who believe in Republic over tyranny praise Brutus. You see, third of all, Molly Brown gave me this play. I thought it was just because he was about a stupid American trying to get by with a bunch of snobby English people. But that weren't why. This was the last play that our great American president, Abraham Lincoln, ever saw. A man's lost his mind. But I find him absolutely charming. Let him go on. The deck of the ship began to tilt towards the center, and everyone, as one, leaned against it so as to remain in the conversation and not slide away to their deaths. Molly Brown figured it out. She knew who this lady was, and who she was was... The ship tilted violently again, and a few people on the edges of the crowd slid away from them down the deck, screaming in terror. Everyone else leaned in further to find out who Lady Nukestall really was, was. 
And here, Davy carefully stumbled down the slanted deck to Lady Nookstall, grabbed her by the wrist. He held up her hand and slid down her sleeve of her dress. J.W.B., her tattoo. She told me it stood for the Dutch Scientific Bureau, but it also stands for something else. If you check under Lenny Lookstall's dress, you will find the very weapon she used to make the iceberg. The iceberg that has sunk the ship and doomed us all. I am not reaching under that old lady's dress. I'll do it. Get out of the way. I'll reach under the dress. No. Enough. Damn you all. And with that, Lady Nookstall reached under her dress and against her leg and withdrew a metallic blinking freeze ray. The crowd gasped. <gasps> you got me, Crockett. But now, I get you. <laughs> and Lady Nookstall slashed John Wilkes Booth, took aim with his gun at a nearby gentleman, and turned him into a block of ice. <laughs> he slid silently down the deck of the tilted ship and was never heard from again. There was a screeching and cracking noise as something deep in the ship rended apart, and it is hard to say whether anyone heard what Lady Newstall was yelling. Anyone but Davy Crockett. Tell them all! Tell the world! John Wilkes Booth, the man who killed Abraham Lincoln, has sunk the Titanic! Sick Semper Titanic! <laughs> Laughing wildly, Booth took aim at another gentleman, and another. Marks of ice with comically stunned and well-dressed English gentlemen slid down the deck one by one. Everyone not frozen was screaming and running about, ice ray blasts shooting left and right. Davy Crockett dove for Booth, but Booth sidestepped Crockett and then fired a blast of ice, hitting Crockett in the leg and freezing him to the deck. Just then, the deck lurched violently and people began to tumble past them both screaming. Booth, you'll never get away with this. I won't let you. Oh, but I have. Yes, I plan to cause the most famous catastrophe in history, and then escape on a lifeboat dressed as a woman where I could flee to America and assassinate the president again, and then take credit for the sinking of the Titanic and go down in history as not only the most horrible villain to ever walk the earth, but also the greatest actor. Yes, the most infamous assassin in the world. And I convinced everyone I was a benevolent old Dutch bidder for 15 years. And nobody ever knew. This shall be my grand finale. My final bow. Except the unsinkable Marla Brown and me. And I am not letting you off this ship. Davy pulled at his leg and the ice around it started to crack. You're under arrest, John Wilkes Booth for the crime of assassinating the President of the United States, for killing the unsinkable Molly Brown, for impersonating an old lady, for stealing a freeze ray, for trying to kill me, and sinking the Titanic. I'd like to see you do that from inside a block of ice. And he took aim with the freeze ray, when suddenly, VIVE L'EMPEREUR! Shouted Napoleon as he came sliding down the deck on his ass toward John Wilkes Booth, his boot raised as he slid into the assassin and kicked him between the legs. As Booth toppled, the freeze ray fell to the deck and started to slide away. Napoleon reached and caught it, then used it to slow his slide and rose to his feet. He pointed the gun at Booth, and then blasted both of Booth's feet to the deck, just as Davies had been. Damn it! I was aiming for his head! Now as I was saying, Booth, you are under arrest by the authority of... Not so fast! You forgot one thing, Crockett. Booth said as he tried to free his foot. He forgot nothing. If that's true, you'll remember this ship is carrying some precious cargo for the Ringling Brothers Circus. And amongst that cargo is a bear. The very bear who is the grandson of the bear you killed when you was only three. What? 
And 30 minutes ago, I told him who killed his grandpa and opened his cage. What? Look behind you! A giant grizzly came roaring past Napoleon and barreled into Davy Crockett, knocking him to the deck. You can do it, Davy. You killed one when you were only three. You can do it now. But I can't remember how I did it. You must. I was only three. Ah. Okay. Okay. Okay, this is not going well. I'm just going to get out of the way. I say someone should help the Saber Crockett fellow, or the ship is going to sink, and we're all going to die. The bear drew back its massive jaws, roared a final time, and aimed for Davy's throat. Suddenly, it stopped. Blood trickled from its maw, the point of a sword poking out the front of its neck. The bear fell to its side, revealing a man in full fencing gear. He removed his mask, revealing the face of Sir Cosmo Duff Gordon. It's me, Sir Cosmo Duff Gordon. Call me a coward now, cruel world. I killed a bear. <laughs> By stabbing it in the back, so this might not totally rewrite your reputation, I'm just saying. Quick. <coughs> Stop Booth. And Booth had, indeed, broken free from his frozen shoes and was running barefoot in his dress toward the lifeboats. Davy gave chase. Davy! Honestly! Who cares? Let him go, because otherwise... Because otherwise we are going to die! Women and children first! Women and children first! Sounds like they're calling my name. Woman, child, or no? Sir Cosmo Duff Gordon, Olympic fencer and bear killer most certainly does not die on a big boat. Napoleon looked the Olympian over thoughtfully. That's true. You don't die in a big boat. No matter what happens, you never do. You are the one certainty. Someone who sleeps with pigeons once told me that. Napoleon smiled a wicked smile at Sir Cosmo Duff Gordon and raised the freeze ray. Davy Crockett, meanwhile, had caught up with John Wilkes Booth and had thrown him against the railing of the ship. He was landing punch after punch into the cross-dressed assassin's face. It's hard to say how many times and for how long Davy punched John Wilkes Booth. Years of frustration and a dedication to his country and to justice had blurred into one. The Titanic continued to sink all around them. Women and children were loaded into lifeboats. Hundreds of people were perishing in the dark, icy waters, while Davy punched and punched. Booth, for his part, spit up blood and struggled to breathe. The ship is sinking, you... Oh, you fool! Get us to a lifeboat! Oh! Oh! Turn me over to the authorities! Tell the story! Ah! Oh! We'll both be more famous than ever! The man who sunk the Titanic! Oh! And the man who almost stopped him! Oh! I'll be the greatest actor oh! who ever lived! You killed our president. You killed Mala Brown. You're going down to this ship booth and nobody is ever going to know what you did. As far as the world knows, you died in a burning barn shot by a hatter. And you never did another single thing in your life after that but get buried in the dirt. Davy punched him again. A few teeth fell from Booth's mouth. Then he slumped against the railing and sunk to the slanted deck, unconscious. Davy! 
came a faint voice from over the water. Davy looked up from his work to see a lifeboat bobbing in the ocean. Davy had to clutch at the railing and hold on to keep from tumbling into darkness as the ship was reaching an impossible angle to the water. He peered across the water at the lifeboat. Inside of it was Napoleon, and next to Napoleon, a block of ice with a frozen Olympic fencer inside. Ha <laughs> ha Thank Tesla for telling me the secret to not getting flushed, Davy. As long as I am with Sir Cosmic Dust Gordon, I am home free! Davy snorted in bewilderment. His head felt so fuzzy. Or so! I got the freeze ray! Maybe the universe wanted to flush it and me both, but instead it only helped us find one another! And I can already think of so many wonderful ways to use it, Davy! Don't worry! This is a good thing! For France! For the world! Napoleon held up a hand. Bon voyage, Davy! Behind him, Booth laughed through the blood in his face. The ship lurched again. The deck was slippery with blood, and Davy's hand on the railing felt numb. It was almost over. Maybe things would be okay, Davy thought. Maybe the once and future emperor of the world, alive in 1912 with a freeze ray, was a good thing. Maybe Napoleon would put it to good use, for the betterment of man. Or maybe not. The truth was sinking in that either way, he wouldn't be around to witness it. There were screams around him, and somewhere, an orchestra played. Was it the Tennessee Waltz? It sounded like the Tennessee Waltz. Davy found that he didn't mind so much going down with the Titanic. A white pigeon fluttered past him and landed near his hand on the ship's railing. She looked up at Davy with such love in her eyes. Such powerful love. Which was comforting because, strangely enough, he was starting to finally remember the Alamo. And the memories were more than a little unpleasant and dark and filled with mist. You know something, Brother Bengley. I know a great many things, my brother Jameson. To what do you refer? I think... I think we're going to be all right. Do you indeed? I do. We still have each other. We can apparently still tell stories. We even have an audience. Yes, a captive audience, as it were. I was quite concerned earlier. But now I think, if this is where we must stay, we're still going to be just fine. I'm glad you've come to that conclusion. Brimblebanks brothers, you made bail. Oh, Oh, thank thank God. God. Who did it? Who bailed us out? I don't know, just follow me. Midnight, stop whittling that shiv and come with us. Who do you think bailed us out, Brother Jameson? Probably one of our adoring fans. Or maybe a member of the royal family. Probably both. Hey, jerks. You! Millicent Brimblebanks? Bum bum bum! That's right, pinheads. You owe your freedom to me. Now you have to do whatever I say. Cluck like a chicken. Yes, I don't think that's quite how it works. No? No. I'm glad you knew that detail, brother. I was about to buck call like I was passing an egg. Well, 
Thank you for restoring our freedom, least favorite cousin. But now we shall be on our way. Wait! What is it? Come to rub our noses in the filth we've fallen into. Come to taunt us with how you and your sister are enjoying living in our home. Telling our stories. Eating our bonbons. Juggling our bowling pins. Pinning our tails on our donkeys. Donkey I need your help. Aha! I knew it. I knew you two couldn't handle the terrible burden of the Brimblebank's legacy. I knew you wouldn't be any good at telling stories without us. Will you two shut up for one minute? It's not that at all. Lucinda and I are way awesome at telling stories. Then what is it? It's Lucinda. She's... she's done something terrible. She's done something absolutely terrible and I don't know who else to turn to. What has she done? Come with me. I'll explain everything on the way. Indeed. Wait. There's still one thing we must do here. What's that, Brother Jameson? You have been listening to the inscrutable Brimblebanks Brothers electronic storytime presentation of That Sinking Feeling or Whatever Floats Your Boat, written by Justin Vidovic and Brody H. Brocky and starring Brody H. Brocky as Bentley Brimblebanks and Justin Vidovic as Jameson Brimblebanks. This story was brought to life by the voice talents of Sean Reed and Brent Dobrovitz as The Prisoners, Brody H. Brocky as Davy Crockett, Justin Vidovic as Napoleon Bonaparte, Brody H. Brocky as Lady Nukestall slash John Wilkes Booth, Justin Vidovic as Nikola Tesla, Brody H. Brocky as the captain, Justin Vidovic as Sir Cosmo Duff Gordon, Brody H. Brocky as Alessand, Justin Vidovic as the unsinkable Molly Brown, with Brody H. Brocky and Justin Vidovic providing additional voices, with Theo Phillips as the guard and Leah Bauer as Millicent Brimblebanks. Be sure to subscribe on iTunes, follow us on Facebook, and tell your friends. Until next time, this is the Voxbot 5000.5 saying... Will you throw that blasted shoebox away already? Goodbye, cruel world.